you only have until the end of June to get two months of premium access to the fastest growing training app in the world. The Motive app gives you a customized training plan no matter what race you have on your calendar. You can use code SMARTER2 when signing up at mymotive.com, but like I said, this offer is going soon, so take action now. On today's episode, how to run faster without injury with Chris Russell. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Okay, another episode, Run Smarter Scholars. We have combined forces with Chris Russell today. He is the host of the Run Run Live 4.0 podcast. And I had to listen to a few of his episodes, really loved it. So I thought I'd reach out and um, collaborate with an, another episode. And so we came up with the topic, how to run faster without injury. I wrote down a few dot points of mine and he wrote down a few dot points of his. And um, so I just rattled them off with a, a good, nice, entertaining episode, which is jam-packed full of value. Um, usually Chris's style is um, a little bit of a shorter format, so we'll keep that today. Only half hour or so of um, chatting. And yeah, really loved his stuff. It's always good when you get a host on and they share some knowledge that I would never have thought of because I'm learning along the way, you're learning along the way, and um, it just the end result is a great podcast episode. So um, yeah, we'll take it off. Um, I'll in, uh, well, Chris starts off introducing himself, so you get to learn more about him. And I do my little spiel, <laughs> speaking to Chris's audience as well. So, um, yeah, let's let's dive in. Let's take it away with how to run faster without injury. Welcome, everyone. This is Brody from the Run Smarter Podcast. I have with me Chris. Do you want to say hi, Chris? Hello, everyone. This is Chris Russell. My uh, my running my trail name is Mad Dog. Very good. And do you want to just maybe just give a quick intro about yourself before we uh, take this episode away? Sure. I will give you the 200 words or less. I am a, uh, a father, a, a husband of many years, but I'm also an endurance athlete uh, for the last, oh, 20, 30 years. And I started out doing a lot of marathons. I got hooked on the Boston Marathon because that's where I'm from. So I'm finishing my 21st Boston Marathon virtually in the next week, but I've also dabbled in uh, mountain bike racing, ultra mountain bike racing, triathlons, uh, ultra running, and again, as part of my virtual Boston this weekend, I'm going to do a 42-mile 
uh, ultra in the mountains with my buddies. So <laughs> that's me. And awesome. I, <laughs> I host the Run Run Live podcast for the last coming up on 13 years, I think. Very nice. And for those who have um, not been accustomed to me, my name is Brody. And like I said before, I have the, the Run Smarter podcast. I am a physical therapist or a physiotherapist by trade. And I have my own online uh, physio clinic and it's just tailored to treating runners. So it's my mission to try and bring clarity and control back to every injured runner and trying to break down misconceptions and any sort of beliefs that are not really serving you that it's circulating throughout the running community. So I guess that's the, um, the ethos around the podcast and my content and blogs and things that I put out there. So I thought it'd be a good idea to join forces with Chris and come up with this topic on how to run faster without injury. And it's always good to combine forces and get some different ideas. And I'm excited about what we've put together today. So um, Chris, do you maybe just want to take us off with our first dot point and then we'll follow on from there? Yeah, let me fire up my notes. You know, when, when Brody reached out to me on Facebook, I was like, who's this guy? What's he? Brody, who's this guy? So you want to give me surfing lessons this Australia? <laughs> then we get, get together and say, hey, you know what would be cool? Let's talk about something that people care about. Uh, and that's running faster without hurting yourself, right? We all want to get faster. But how do you do without get hurt. So my first point, my first part of that would be to whenever I've gotten injured, it's because I did something stupid. And it's because I made some sort of abrupt change in my volume, my intensity, or any of my habits. So in order to run faster, you're going to have to do speed or you're going to have to do tempo, you're going to have to long, longer distances. And you don't want to just throw the switch on that stuff. You want to ease into it and make sure that you don't hurt yourself in the transition. I'll give you a story of one time I, I rolled my ankle, actually broke my ankle uh, trying to do tempo on some trails. And after I thought about it, I said, it's because you idiot, you haven't run in the trails for almost three weeks when you went out and tried to do that tempo run. So I broke my own rule there. So what are your thoughts on that, Brody? Yeah, absolutely. I think when it comes to the the number one step to injury prevention is just trying to avoid any acute change or anything that's really abrupt that um, exceeds your capacity to adapt. And that's, it's well put exactly what you just said. It's usually when most runners will kind of nod their head when they have an injury and then they look back on their last couple of days, last couple of weeks of training and be like, yeah, that was pretty stupid. <laughs> right. Yep. So we learn sometimes, sometimes we don't. <laughs> so you know, what you're saying is we need to implement the tempo stuff, the speed stuff, the distance stuff. That's all critical for getting faster, but we just need to uh, be a bit more patient and make sure we're, we're making the right decisions when we're uh, slowly adding in these variables. Yeah, we, we typically overestimate what we can do right out of the gate, but we underestimate what we can accomplish over time. So yeah. if you into it, you're going to get your peak's going to be a lot higher. Absolutely. And I'm glad that's the first point that we discussed because it's probably the most important one. It's almost like the foundation one. And going on from that, so my second point would um, like fit in really nicely. It's just being consistent. And a lot of people can like self-reflect back on their last six or 12 months and see if they're following this boom bust uh, injury cycle. A lot of people, when they're feeling really good, they start like piling on the mileage, piling on the mileage. 
and then they're injured and then they have to like their variables, their distances are limited by what that injury um, is <clears throat> entailing. So yeah, trying to be as consistent as, as consistent as you can and try and string together month after month after month of consistent training. And then that's where you're going to really reap a lot of benefits. So make those smart decisions, self-reflect on the last couple of months. And if you are going through that boom bust cycle, perhaps trying to train, uh, change something that's um, trying to change some habits or trying to change your attitude or trying to change your structure in any way that might be uh, more advantageous. Yeah, I think that's a good point. A couple of things in there, you know, by nature, endurance sports is, is seasonal or it has seasons that are, you'll find your own rhythm in that, you know, for everything, there is a season there. Um, so you'll find that there's different times of year when you ease into different routines, but you don't want to boom and bust, like you said, like go to zero, then go to 100%. Uh, and, and the other thing you, you need to realize is that it takes, a t- it takes some time to build up that core endurance and more importantly, the muscle and fascia strength to be able to adapt to those bigger cycles or those different cycles. So for, a, you know, you say you get a, a six-week or a 12-week marathon training plan. If you're starting from scratch, that's not going to get you there, right? I mean, you may be able to run that race, but your body's not going to fully adapt, I think, until 10, 12 months out, maybe more. Absolutely. The body does a really amazing job at adapting to, if you're being patient and you're slowly adding in the loads, it does an amazing job at adapting to what you're subjecting it to. So. Um, yeah, recognize those seasons and uh, try and set yourself up for, if you have to do like a marathon or a race or something, make sure you're uh, appropriately or you're giving the right amount of time. So yeah, a really, really good point. All right. So there we go. We're uh, five minutes in. We got two, two points under our belts. Let's go for my second point here. So, yeah, far away. So this is sort of a two-parter and it goes back to what I was just talking about, um, about recovery periods and, and sort of the seasons in your training. So training in general is you're going to push yourself, then you're going to recover. And people always think of training in the push yourself part, but they don't think so much about the recover part. And it's weird because the recover part, that's where you get all the benefit, right? That's where your body comes back stronger. So you have to know what your recovery, what your, everybody's different, right? So how do you recover, right? What are your thresholds there? There's people like, you know, Dean Carnazes who can run hundred miles every day and recovers right away. But people like you and I, you know, it may take two, three days for us to recover from that three hour long run, right? So, so you got to know what your personal recovery threshold is and then plan that periodization into your training. I'm going to hit it hard for one week and then recover, or I'm going to hit it hard for two weeks and then recover, whatever works for you. And it's that periodization of push and recover, push and recover that allows you to meet, reach the the top of the mountain and get faster, meet your goals of getting faster and, and going longer. Yeah. I'm really glad you added that as a point because there's something I don't know a lot about. So if Chris, if you're saying that we need to, listen to our body or listen to your own um, recovery strategy. What might that feel like? Are we going 
off what the body's telling us? Are we doing off like heart rate? Are we doing off like perceived exercise? How does that carry over practically? So it's all those things, right? It's all those things. Sometimes it's going to be really clear to you where it's going to manifest as my legs are sore, right? Uh, right. And that's all. Everybody knows that. But it's, it's absolutely heart rate as well. If you are looking at your heart rate every day and then, you know, when you run, you're looking at your heart rate, you can see how long it takes for your heart rate to recover from a hard effort or a harder effort, right? It's not just what your heart rate is. It's how fast does it recover? Because if it snaps right back, you're, you're okay, right? But if it, it's taken a long time to recover from those efforts, then you're probably overtrained. Right. And, and that's, so a lot of it is sort of, it's, it's not science, uh, unfortunately. And that's where it really helps to have a coach because they can watch you from the outside and they can notice you saying words like tired or, you know, I'm slog, I slogged through this workout. I didn't feel right. So, you know, keeping those notes, you, you can kind of tease out when you can see an athlete getting tired. Right. And, and they're getting to that point where they got to recover. Yeah. I'll add on to that as well. Just stepping away for a brief moment to explain how the Motive app can help achieve your best running results. It's obvious that in order to perform at your best, you need a tailored plan designed by the best coaches in the world that perfectly match your upcoming races, your fitness level, and your precise goals. Well, the Motive app does exactly that. I've been getting some great feedback from you Run Smarter Scholars who have taken up this offer. So if you haven't done so already, you can use code SMARTER2 and get two months of premium access. But this offer won't last forever. So give it a try today by signing up at mymotive.com. Just finished doing uh, an online module around the uh, Masters Runner and they did specifically mention that the older you get, the longer you need to recover. And a lot of people, if they've formed the, the same habits that they have in their 30s or their 40s, and then they're getting into their 50s, 60s as a runner, um, you really need to respect that recovery process. And it does take longer than when you're like, you know, 20 years younger. So that can really get into a danger zone of injury if you um, continue with those same recovery habits, like, oh, I only need a day or two and I'll be fine. Um, yeah, really, really respect that the body does need time. And perhaps if you want to measure your heart rate or just measure how the body's feeling once you jump out of bed, do you feel like you need to, you want to exercise? Are you feeling like um, the joy of exercising or do you need to take another day or two to recover? Um, yeah, really key um, points there. Do you want yeah, I mean, that's tricky, right? And that's why I would always recommend you have a coach, even if it's just somebody from your running club or anybody to, and, and keep, you know, keep your sort of notes around your workouts because you'll start to see patterns. And especially if you get injury, right? Then you can go back and look and say, what was the pattern? Oh, I was overtired for almost two weeks going into this. I wasn't getting enough sleep, right? Or whatever it is. And you can, you can see those patterns, but everybody's different, right? So, and like you said, it changes over time because I used to be you know, when I was in my 20s and 30s and even 40s, I was a five to seven day a week guy. Now mm. I'm a four day a week guy, right? And, and I do the, um, the recovery stuff in between. Yeah. And I've got another um, tip further down the track around recovery, which would tie in really nice with this one. But the next point I had was something a little bit more practical. And if we're talking about trying to run faster, it, 
the one thing I think about is trying to have lighter shoes and this is delving into the science that I know um, quite well and lighter oh. shoes. There's like a lot of research. If there's, if your shoes are like 100 grams lighter, you get a one or 1.1% increase in efficiency. And there's been some studies to show that if your shoes are 300 grams less, there's a efficiency um, increase by 2.6%, which is really, really good. And uh, when we want to perform, when we're talking about running faster, especially for endurance athletes, the efficiency, how run, if your running efficiency improves, that's a huge, huge advantage. And of course, with the, the running topic itself, it's run faster without injury. So I do say you have to safely transition to a lighter shoe, which is probably another topic in itself. But just be aware that if your lighter shoe does have less support or if it has a like a reduced heel drop or something like that, we do really need to slowly transition in so that the body does adapt to those lighter shoes. Anything you need to add with that, Chris? Oh yeah, absolutely. Right. So I'll, I'll, I'll avoid talking about shoes mostly because it's a religious topic and, and I'm not an authority on religion, but the, as far as the running goes, um, yeah, you know, especially because if you are trying to get faster, you will end up in some structured training that includes speed work and, and tempo work, right? So you're going to be running at a higher um, turnover, higher threshold, and your lighter shoes are going to make that a lot easier. So for me, what I would do when I was doing a lot of track work was I'd have two sets of shoes, right? You'd have the lighter shoes with less structure in them that you do your speed work and your tempo work and your track work with. And then you have maybe the trainers for your, um, for your base training, right? Just some heavier trainers. But this is, is absolutely true. When you look at shoes, uh, you know, it used to be in the old days, they would try to put you into a motion control shoe or some big clunky shoe when you just started out. And the only way to avoid that is to, over time, look at your form, right? And if you can have a nice, clean, four-foot strike form, you can run in almost any shoe over time. Um, so, you know, like you said, don't just jump into a pair of zero drop shoes if you've been run, running in seven millimeter drop shoes, right? Because it'll take you three months to do a custom of that. And if you just switch over to those, you're going to blow your Achilles up, right? 100%. <laughs> yeah. And you see that all the time, right? Um, but again, it's that, it's that easing in the transition thing. But I absolutely agree that you get that lighter pair of shoes for racing with. Um, because if you take all that structure out of the heel, if your form is right, you're not using any of that heel anyhow. It's just there more as a guide than a crash pad. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a good point that you have there to try and like, if you do have different types of shoes to um, find an effective way to transition between shoes, not just constantly running in one shoe the entire time. Uh, I think we've covered a lot with that point. I'm happy to move on if uh, you want to take away the next one. Uh, sure. So, what I wanted to suggest for getting faster is uh, strength and flexibility in your training. So a lot of times people will just jump right on the speed work and the tempo work. Uh, it's good to, to also work in some strength as well. And strength can take the form of pure, you know, um, doing lunges or isometric holds or that sort of stuff with your legs, right? So having a program of that in the first part of your 
training plan to strengthen your legs before you get into the heavy race specific stuff. Um, and that'll give you the, the, the strength and the leg speed when you get there. Uh, same is true with the, uh, with the flexibility, right? Working in some yoga, uh, some specific stuff to keep those tendons and that fascia uh, long and lean. And for you physio, I will also say, if you, if you have the option, getting a good uh, massage and getting somebody to dig in there every couple of weeks is a great option as well. But also in your training, so in that first phase of your training to build strength work into your legs, you can do a lot of hills, right? So, and I don't mean just running up hills. I mean some structured hills where you're doing a 30 second or a 60 second or a 90 second set of repeats, not at max, but at like 80%. And that'll bring the, the strength work to you, right? So if I go out and find a hill and do a set of 10, 60 second, repeats at 80%, that's going to be an enormous amount of strength in my legs, in my turnover, in my form. It's, it's just wonderful stuff. Yeah. It's a good option for those who like still want to appreciate the benefits of strength, but don't really, they're not much of a gym goer and, you know, don't like lifting weights. It's, it's a really nice option because propelling you up a, a hill is going to build you up for propelling you on the flats. And uh, it's, yeah, it's a really nice compromise. I think like within my podcast, I have an entire season dedicated to the benefits of strength training when it comes to running and what the science does show. And I have had the, the um, opportunity to uh, interview a lot of researchers around this topic. And the, it's like the general consensus is strength training will help you run faster. And it, that's yeah. like the science it shows that. And it's great that we do have that evidence out there. And they do tend towards like if you are lifting weights and doing your lunges, squats, deadlifts, like all of those type of exercises, you do, once it's safe to do so, once you do have the right technique, start adding on the weights and getting towards like a six to eight rep max and really slow, heavy control, that kind of stuff. But you also want the power. The power comes in with, um, you know, quick box jumps or like some quick skipping or the hill um, doing hills at eighty percent of your your max that those are really a really nice component that uh, just starts topping up your overall performance and yeah i 'm glad you added in strength and flexibility because it's the strength part of it is just like crucial for any runner who wants to become who wants to perform better so yeah really nice point and is there anything you want to touch on on this one before we move on no I think that 's self explanatory very good. The The next point I had was to recognize the importance of like the 80-20 rule. And I don't know, there's not much science around the actual 80-20 rule. It might be give or take, you know, a couple of percent. But one thing you do need to take away is that the majority of your running should be at low intensity. And we do need to top up with the high intensity stuff. But I do notice a lot of runners who feel like they need to run faster. They just want to add in more and more running like faster repeats or interval sessions and they end up doing say like 50% high intensity, 50% low intensity, and it just dramatically increases the likelihood of an injury. And so respecting that even the best athletes in the world, even the ones that are performing at the top, they still have that 80% just really, really low intensity stuff. And it allows the body just to build up a really big volume for you to work on that top end and work on that 
the 20, 15% high, high intensity um, really works well. Have you seen uh, similar effects like with your background? Yeah. So it's the, it's more than the 80, 20, right? It's, I agree. If you look at a structured training plan, if I have a, you know, if you have a marathon, you're going to break that into probably three phases of training that are going to get more race specific as you go. But if you have the opportunity to build going into that, what you're going to do is all slow aerobic running. So zone, uh, heart rate zone two. So what you're trying to do is you're, you're building more um, mitochondria in your cells at a, a lower effort level. So you're doing, and every, all the professionals do this as well. Um, but you're working in that zone two heart rate to build that capacity so that then when you start making it race specific, you start going into the tempo and the strength and the pace training. You have that deep well of conditioning that you've built up to use, right? And then when you're actually in the training, that's where the, you know, you got to remember that, the, how you cycle through that in your periods and your waves and, you know, make sure you recover enough, right? Absolutely. So, you know, in a, in a peak training week, for us mere mortals, you shouldn't be doing out of those seven days, there shouldn't be more than two of those that are uh, tempo or speed work, right? Yeah, and very good. 20. Yeah, indeed. Nice. I think we're keeping well with time, and we've got one point each to, to get through, so um, yeah, you kick us off. Yeah, all right. So, you know, another religious topic I, I uh, talk about is nutrition. But what I find in my own training, you know, I'm, I'm an old guy, I'm a meat and potatoes guy from the 70s. But I found that when I get into some really intense training, the kind of training that you need to go faster, that you really need to recover. And one of the most important things to recover from is inflammation. And depending on what food you put in yourself, what fuel you put in yourself, some of it causes or at least um, has more of an inflammatory content than, than others, right? So if you look at the nutrition, you can, you can wire up some nutrition that actually helps you recover faster and you'll just feel better, right? So instead of fighting your diet, like we did for years, right? We just fight our diet. You can start pulling out those things um, you know, like white bread and pasta that cause inflammation and you'll recover faster. And because you're recovering faster, you'll be able to up your volume and get faster. Yeah, totally agree. It's like the, if you want to try and uh, build bigger mileage with your running, what you're doing is like you're creating output and what you, the nutrients that you give yourself is the input and you want that equation to kind of balance out. And if you're giving yourself this junk nutrition, you can't expect a really high quality output. And um, yeah, you're totally right. I have had um, some really nice uh, dietitians that I've had on my podcast talking about inflammation. And it does seem like you were talking about like the white breads, the pastas, and also sugar. Sugar is like a massive yep. one when it comes to inflammation. Yep. 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 And yep. If we can, like, we don't have to give up sugar, but, you know, trying to limit it as much as you can. Um, that way, if you want your, uh, if you want to see good results with your running, trying to limit the amount of sugar. Because how many times do you see someone training for a marathon and because they're doing really high mileage and they they do like a, you know, a 
30K run and then they just feel exhausted and they just eat a cake, eat cupcakes, cookies all day because they feel like it's justified because they've deserved it. They've had a really large run and they're craving this sugar and they just end up like putting on weight when they prepare for a marathon or they just feel like they're eating too much junk food than when they weren't training for the marathon. It's something um, really key that we need to think about because we want, like I was saying, those nutritions are coming in. We want to be rich in like all the, the really nice vitamins, minerals, nutritions, just in order to receive or have that really high quality output. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, the old timers, we used to say, you know, if the furnace is hot enough, any fuel will burn. And that's true. You can, you can run through a lot of bad nutrition, but if you actually want to feel good and get the, get faster and get the benefit from your training, it's not hard to tweak your diet a little bit to, to get a big benefit. Very true. And I think my last point really ties in well with what we've just discussed. And it's like throughout your week, throughout your month, like your high intensity days should be really reflective of when you've uh, aided your recovery. Like when you've recovered really, really well, they're, they're the moments when you should be implementing those high intensity days. And that is including nutrition. That is including like if you have stress or if you've had really poor quality sleep, there has been a really um, solid link between lack of sleep over a couple of days to a couple of weeks and their link with injury. So if you've had, for whatever reason, if you've moved house, if you've stressed, if you've got a new job, if you had a new kid, like all those stressful moments, if you uh, aren't getting good quality sleep, don't don't run yourself into the ground with your training because that is almost a surefire way of developing an injury. But on the opposite side, if you are feeling like well rested, if you are getting good quality sleep, if you're hitting you're hitting some a really nice um, nutrition throughout the week, and you're feeling really good, these are the moments that you really need to take full advantage and implement those higher intensity sessions because your body's going to recover faster. You're going to have a more optimal recovery, and you're going to reap those benefits. And it's just training smarter. It's just making those smart decisions, and those who have a really regimented structure and say, no, Sundays are my high intensity days. And then you go out on the Saturday night, you have a couple of beers and you know, you don't get good quality sleep. You know, it's making that judgment call. Maybe I need to move that session to uh, the Monday or the Tuesday when I do feel well rested and I have had a good, like um, a good meal and you know, I'm not as stressed. Maybe that's what I need to do. Maybe that's the adjustment I need to make. And just making like several of those smarter decisions throughout your preparation can really uh, see some really good benefits. Anything you want to add with that, Chris? Yeah, I mean, I've found success in taking it a week at a time, right? So typically I'll get my week's worth of workouts from my coach on a, on a Sunday or a, a Sunday night, right? And then I look at what workouts I've got for that week. And if it's a big week, then I'll look at, you know, I'll look at my life and say, okay, when am I going to get these done? When am I going to squeeze these in, right? And it's, it's not always perfect, but that way you can then organize the stuff you're talking about around it. You can say, okay, I got to do a, a, you know, a, a hill section on session on Friday morning. Um, so I better get to bed on Thursday night, right? And just set the plan so it doesn't get away from you. But on the other side of that, you know what? We're all people, you know, nobody's perfect. And the rule I, I make for myself on these workouts 
is to, to show up, right? And once you get out there, if it feels awful, okay, you can leave, but you got to show up, right? Because Absolutely. more often than not, like I'll tell you a couple Fridays ago, I had a, I had a tempo run and I had to drive uh, a couple hours and I, you know, I made the mistake of eating some snack nuts on the ride down. And, you know, so I got a, I got a little bit of a full belly and I got to go out and do this tempo run. Um, but I just got up and I said, okay, instead of 80%, I'll go 60% or whatever. Right. We'll see how it goes. And once I got out there, I felt, I felt pretty good. Right. Felt pretty good after making a stop in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> And it, you know, it got better, right? So did I get 110% of that workout? No, but I got enough of it, right? And I, and I really would have hated myself if I missed it. Yeah, nice. Uh, it's just being kind to yourself and probably uh, just trying to know the difference between uh, am I just feeling lousy for any particular reason or is it my body telling me to slow down? And then once you're out there and getting into a run, you can probably get a really accurate um interpretation of what your body's telling you. So yeah, at least whack on the shoes and uh, get out there to start. That's really good. Um, I like to summarize. So uh, just to a, a bit of a general recap. So we've got point number one, try not to make any radical changes in your training and just like uh, respect the adaptability of the body. Number two, just be consistent, avoiding those boom bust cycles. Number three, uh, knowing your recovery thresholds and really respecting that recovery time frame. Number four, transition to lighter shoes if you can transition safely. Number five, doing a nice strength and flexibility training. Number six, uh, recognize the importance of like really like the um, low intensity, the 80-20 rule. Seven, clean nutrition, really make sure that we're respecting inflammation with the foods that we bring in. And number eight, making sure that we're uh, training optimally with our recovery. So trying to match our high intensity sessions with some, um, you know, reduced, uh, sleep or like really good quality sleep, nutrition, stress, all that kind of stuff, then tying in really, really well. Um, that was great, Chris. I think we covered so much really valuable content. Do you want to just finish off with your final like plugs? And, um, if my audience wants to know more about you, where they can go. Yeah. And, uh, and likewise as well, Brody, the, the thing I'll leave you with is, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and uh, it's a journey, right? So if you start thinking of your running as not today's workout, but a lifetime's worth of workouts and a lifetime work of, worth of training and adventures, you know, everything comes into perspective a lot better. Right? And you can cut yourself some slack uh, and enjoy it for what it is, right? It's a lifestyle. It's not a particular event or a particular, you know, workout. And you can find me, uh, my website is runrunlive.com, all one word. My handle on the interwebs is C-Y-K-T Russell. That's Chris Yellow, King, Tom, R-U-S-S-E-L-L, two S's, two L's. You can find me on Facebook and all those other places that we hate. Awesome. And uh, I do recommend like one of your latest uh, episodes. I had a listen uh, yesterday to Amanda and the episode was conditioning versus form for injury prevention. I really liked that content. So uh, if anyone hasn't listened to that one, I highly recommend it. And if someone wants to learn more about me, I have the Run Smarter podcast. I help people make smarter training decisions so they can survive and thrive as a runner. 
Uh, I am active on Instagram. So it's um, Run Smarter Series if you want to look that up. And I have the Run Smarter podcast Facebook group if you want to dive in there. So, um, yeah, thanks again for taking the time, Chris, coming on and combining forces. I think we covered a lot today. Thanks for listening to another episode of the Run Smarter Podcast. I hope you can see the impact this content has on your future running. If you appreciate the mission this podcast is creating, it would mean a lot to me if you submit a rating and review. If you want to continue expanding your knowledge, please subscribe to the podcast and get instant notifications when a new episode comes out. If you want to learn quicker, then join our Facebook group by searching the podcast title. If you want to take your learning to the next step, including injury prevention principles, injury-specific insights, and modules to boost your running performance, then head to our website by searching runsmarter.online and jump into our Run Smarter online course. Once again, thank you for listening and becoming a Run Smarter scholar. And remember, knowledge is power.